Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Revolt Black News, presented by State Farm. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. There were statements made by the mayor yesterday regarding the evidence in this case that simply weren't true. One of the weapons that they used, by the way, was a handgun that had been converted into um, an automatic pistol, meaning it could fire like a machine gun. Really, there's no charges that could be brought? The Chi-Town Showdown, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox finally come together. Is it the old saying, keep your enemies closer, or does the culture see a different enemy? Because Chicago Police Department is corrupt. I mean, they're under a federal court order that says that they target black and brown people. Then, dating. From folks getting numbers to actually looking at the numbers, how dangerous are the dating apps? Drive, it's about power. We stay hungry, we devour. Our panel discusses if there's anything The Rock can't do, and Luda drops details about the karma behind his new animated series. The diversity, inclusion, when it comes to the characters, when it comes to the voices, every aspect of it. You know, like I said, I just wanted to become the change that I wanted to see. I wish I had this when I was a kid. Then the black dollar and President Joe Biden's banking bill, what will it mean for the community as his approval rating takes a hit? Tensions have escalated in northern Ethiopia's Tigray region yet again as Ethiopian troops and their allies wage war against the rebels. And the African diaspora in distress, we get to the bottom of the ethnic violence erupting in Ethiopia and the Nobel Peace Prize winning president at the center of the humanitarian crisis. What is going on with my family? Is my mom alive? All that and more tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Welcome to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm your guest host, Naima Abdullahi, filling in for Ebony K. Williams. We begin with the showdown in Chi-Town in the aftermath of a West Side shootout involving two gangs where one person died. Tension intensifying publicly between Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox. Mayor Lightfoot is ready for arrest to be made, while Fox waits for evidence that may lead to a conviction. The two met last week with prosecutors to discuss the case. Was their meeting a path for collaboration to stop the violence in Chicago, or was it only a heated debate in their very public combat? They're still on the same page to end gun violence, and they both called the meeting productive. And uh, they said they had uh, some shared perspectives toward you know, that common goal of ending gun violence. But we're not going to really know how productive that meeting was uh, until days, weeks, months later, and we see some results. Given that evidence, a pod camera right there that captured the entire thing, police officers on the scene, a uniform squad car there, why that isn't enough? There were statements made by the mayor yesterday regarding the evidence in this case that simply weren't true. The Chi-Town Showdown, as a war of words erupts with two black female elected officials in the public spotlight. With a finger-pointing feud and tension intensifying, Kim Fox rests on legal standing while Mayor Lightfoot hopes to stand on an arrest. All of this playing out after a deadly shooting earlier this month in Chicago. Five suspects were arrested and later released, with no charges filed in what police are calling a gang-related shooting. 
really, there's no charges that could be brought? That the chief of detectives, Dina Hen, said on two occasions yesterday that the evidence was insufficient for charging at that time on Friday. It's quite a debate we're seeing here because uh, you have to believe Fox's heart is in the right place, uh, but it's tough to strike both of those tones of justice, law and order, but also restorative justice. So while Mayor Lightfoot looks for an explanation and Kim Fox looks for evidence, perhaps both could find answers from the victims who were wounded in the shooting or witnesses. However, they're refusing to talk to police. A stark reminder of one of the most important unwritten rules of the streets. There is a code of silence. This is a problem that's rampant throughout Chicago in terms of uh, people not cooperating with investigations, uh, you know, the Chicago police have one of the lowest clearance rates when it comes to making arrests um, and when it comes to uh, charging people in the entire country. The, a big reason for that is because people don't come forward. When they see something, they don't say something. They tell on your brother or your sister and see what happened to you. And see what you end up. With your butt whoop or what? We're not going to tell. We're not snitches. In the meantime, the two leaders, Lightfoot and Fox, resort to the powers that be that enforce the rules. We will continue to work with our partners in law enforcement. But whose partner? The saying goes, snitches get stitches. So will law enforcement only deepen Fox's gap for the evidence she needs? So when our police officers work their tails off to put together these cases and present them to the state's attorney, my expectation is that due consideration will be given. And is it the police officers who Mayor Lightfoot believes she owes explanations to? Regardless, while the public eye remains on these two women, an inner city remains steeped in violence, and some hearkening back to MCs like Scarface. We don't talk to police, we don't make the peace bump. We don't trust in the judicial system, we shoot guns. We rely on the streets, we do battle in the hood. I was born in the G-code, embedded in my blood. And now, helping us take a closer look at the dense dynamic at play is a local Chicago anchor at CW26 Chicago and writer for Ebony Magazine, Brandon Pope. Also with us is the CEO and founder of My Block, My Hood, My City, a social impact organization that serves Chicago communities year-round, Jamal Cole. And from Black Bench Chicago, which aims to train the next generation of black civic leadership, I.B. Hart. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. My first question is for you, Brandon. If those who were shot won't talk to police, how can we ever reach a point of getting justice for the victim? Yeah, it makes things extremely difficult. That's the point that elected officials have made and police have made over and over again, because the, the, the case here, there wasn't enough video evidence to make a clear picture of who exactly was doing the shooting. Um, there weren't any, and so all they could really depend on there were witness statements. No witnesses said anything, therefore, no one gets charged. And that's how Kim Fox has explained it. That's how the police department explained it. And that's what happened here. So people do have to speak up and say something if they want to see something done. Jamal, a follow-up question to that. Why are they remaining silent? Why are they not speaking out? What are the fears and different factors that may play into them deciding to just keep their mouths closed? Because Chicago Police Department is corrupt. I mean, they're under a federal court order that says that they target black and brown people. And so they have to make 10 years of reforms. It's called a consent decree. And 70% of the deadlines have already been missed. IB, let's look at the dynamics of what we're facing, right? From one side, 
not enough evidence, the other side, enough to take action? Why do you think there's disagreement and where do you think their disagreement stems from? I mean, it comes down to politics versus the law. Every prosecutor knows that there's a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. You have to be really, really procedural, whether it's gathering of the evidence, arrests, charges. And as Kim Fox said, the mayor knows all of this. So I think it really comes down to where the procedures followed and, and letting them follow through the investigation to see what happens next. Brandon, what do you think this disagreement is doing to the city of Chicago? You know, is it helping the community in any way? Is it hurting them? Because by the end of the day, the community is suffering from an uptick of violence. We see Chicago in the headlines 365 most of the time in media. What do you think this disagreement, this public disagreement is causing to people who live in the city of Chicago? It's causing frustration. People who uh, live in the city of Chicago, they want to see solutions. They want to see answers. They want the bleeding to stop. The public hand pointing back and forth in the media, that doesn't solve their issue. So they can have as many meetings as they want. They can sit down and get to the table as much as they want. But uh, people on the ground aren't seeing the solutions. And what they're asking for isn't more police on the streets. They're asking for resources in the community. They're asking for the mental health clinics that were removed that be put back into those communities. They're asking for uh, the schools to be reopened that were shut down. They're asking for more money fueled into where they live. That way they can kind of attack this at the source. You know, the violence is a symptom of a disease. And they want to see that really corrected here. This public back and forth is not doing that. And not just, you know, citizens are saying that. Reverend Jesse Jackson is saying that. Lots of people on this call are saying that. We just need the elected officials to kind of get that across, too. IB, Lightfoot's meeting where they seem to agree to come together in collaboration. Did you believe them when you heard that? I mean, I think that they have to work together. At the end of the day, not only are they two black women in this role, they're representing the city, they're the ones that are responsible uh, for finding the solution. So, I mean, whether I believe it or not, they're going to work together. Brandon, in your coverage of your city, what would you say is a solution to stop? Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Stop the violence. Man, <laughs> that's a that's a question that I think is, is tough to answer because uh, it's it's multi-layered. Um, but I do think that uh, from what I've seen and what I've exa- what I've examined, you have to start from the source. We talked about this earlier. You got to address one police reform that needs to be seriously addressed. You've had, uh, as Jamal mentioned, the consent decree deadlines repeatedly and continuously ignored, bypassed. Every it, 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 it's. It doesn't see, I don't see any commitment going on right now from the police department to changing their ways. Meanwhile, we still have an uptick in violence, an uptick in police misconduct cases. And these police misconduct cases, this is a taxpayer issue. They are, the, the police misconduct that happens, it all burdens the taxpayer because of these settlements that are put out there um, and all this money that's doled out because of the misconduct. So that's part of the problem. But also you've got to look at, once again, resources. you got to help these communities out. you got to go back to, you know, reestablishing mental health and putting a focus there in the police department and also in these communities. I think that's one way to approach it, but there's also many other ways to look at this. Bottom line, we all got to get to the table and and talk it out and find actual solutions, not point fingers across TV cameras. 
And since this is a two-sided conversation, right, from the other perspective, let's explore that aspect as well. What do you think in the climate of police policing a community where this is happening as frequently as it is? From your perspective, what do you think officers are going through and how can officers be better equipped to handle it while at the same time the community is, you know, exploring avenues of building trust with the police department? What, is, what do you think the take on the other side of this conversation is, Jamal? They signed up for the job. They mad at us and they signed up for the job. Like, it's, it's, we're asking that you humble yourself and treat us like a person. Like, when you pull me over, you should make me feel safe and comfortable. You should, you should affirm how I feel and say, hey, you know, how you feel is legitimate. Your anger and your fear for me is legitimate. See, that, that's not happening because they, they're only required to do eight hours of optional diversity training. You know how crazy that is? If you were, if you were training to be a pilot and it was a thousand hours mandatory to learn how to fly, you wouldn't spend eight hours to learn how to land the plane. That don't make no sense. The situation is too important. If you're, if you're studying to be a surgeon and it's a thousand hours mandatory for you to be a surgeon, you're not going to spend eight hours learning how to stitch somebody up. It's the same logic with the police department. If it's a thousand hours mandatory for training, you shouldn't spend eight hours on optional diversity training. That don't make no sense. The situation is too important. So humble yourself. When you pull me over, think about pulling over your mom, your sister, your brother, somebody like that. That's, that's not too much to ask because that responsibility is on you because you're paid to serve the public. It's not clear that they know that their job is to serve the public right now. Brandon, Jamal, Ib, thank you so much for joining us and for really chiming in on this conversation. Ahead, the Ethiopian violence erupting on the continent, how a Nobel Peace Prize winning president finds himself at the center of a humanitarian crisis. But up next, Dating While Black. We explore the app dangers. Stick around, more on Revolt Black News Weekly after this. serial killer was convicted in Essex County, New Jersey. He murdered at least three women after connecting them using a social app. What I'm finding out is uh, he's, he's, there's quite a few girls missing and he's, you know, and he's in charge of it. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm Naima Abdullahi filling in for Ebony K. Williams. Now, we turn our attention to dating while black and the app approach. This comes on the heels of the recent conviction of the now 25-year-old Khalil Wheeler Weaver, the New Jersey serial killer who was sentenced to 160 years in prison, accused of luring and murdering three of his four victims through a dating app. Tonight, we're exploring just how safe are the people who swipe left or right. Now, this topic opens up a larger conversation about dating online in the black community. Joining me to talk about the online dating dilemma, Michelle Hope, sexologist, and Leah Gordon, the creator of Black Girl News. Thank you, ladies, for joining us on this conversation. Look, we live in a culture where there's a romanticized version of social media where your soulmate is just one swipe away, right? But on the other end, let's really delve into an important piece of that conversation, the dangers of dating apps. Tell us about how dangerous dating apps can be. I believe dating apps, people use them because it really removes their fear of having a face-to-face -face conversation with people. Sometimes with dating apps, I don't believe that people take precautions and think about the dangers of meeting people that are potentially strangers. But do you think people let their guard down on social media dating apps more than they would in person? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you can be whoever you want to be. I looked at the statistics and they showed that 
it increased. Social media dating increased. People are more so wanting to talk to strangers. They feel more connected and they're able to spill more of their life to people that they don't know because they're normally judged by people that they do know. Leah, you really bring up a point about how people are engaged more on social media and using these platforms. Michelle, has there been an uptick in online dating in the black community, especially in the midst of the pandemic? I think absolutely there has been. I think that we have become more normalized to the idea of dating online, especially with being um, in the house for so long. People were looking to make connections and the best way to do that was online. I think it's just ticked up across the board. As far as African-Americans, while that has ticked up too, I think it's more of a general population has started to go to online dating sites or apps. We oftentimes hear protect black women, believe black women. When we think about social media, what are the safeguards that can be in place to really protect them and to keep them safe when turning to social media sites? Leah? I'm fighting for background checks and or government IDs. And the reason why I say this is because you never know who is behind the screen. Even with the Khalil Willer Weaver case, right now he's in jail because of the victim's family and friends creating the fake webs of a fake dating profile. And actually, instead of them meeting him on the date, the police came. I'm really pushing for background checks and government IDs only for the simple fact that I talk about these cases every single day. And this is not the first time nor the last time it will happen until they add those features. Let's play devil's advocate. You know, do these social media companies and dating apps really have to go through all those extra measures to protect the public? Is that on them or is it on us as people who are joining the apps? When we look at the statistics, right, we saw things like Backpage come down. We saw Craigslist um, uh, meet and greet or whatever it was, couples, casual encounters came down because of Sosta and Festa saying that these sites continue to fuel human trafficking. If we have data that tells us 10% of assaults are happening in conjunction with these sites, then absolutely, it is the site's responsibility. And an easy way to do that is if you are a sex offender, you should not be able to register for a profile. It, that in itself could change the dynamic in such a way that could keep people safe. And I know some might be like, oh my gosh, that's big tech getting into our lives, but it would save lives. You're both bringing in very important perspectives. When we look at the billion dollar industry, right? In this conversation, we've been able to address the pros and the cons of online dating, but let's really go into that pro because that pro is why it's becoming a billion dollar industry. What is the appetite within the community? What are people looking for that they're not getting in real life? Because Dating apps are really serving a void that hasn't been around before this social media digital era. Talk to me about that draw that makes it a billion dollar company. Leah? I believe it gives people the opportunity to have communication with other people. We live in an age and a time where we don't have conversations, we don't talk, we don't communicate because we're always on our phones, we're always on tablets. So it's just simple, it's easy. The opportunity to connect with someone prior to making a date, getting in a cab, or driving to a location, it's time. It saves time. And we're all moving at such a quick pace. You can weed a lot of people out through some DMs and conversations online. And if you're somebody that wants to take your time, which is what we saw during the pandemic because people were not able to leave their homes, 
it really allowed people to make a clear understanding or a clear choice on whether or not this is somebody I wanted to invest my time in. Dating is an investment. It's an investment of money. It is an investment of time. And my time is money, okay? Ladies, let's talk about what safeguards are in place to keep our brown and black sisters and brothers safe when turning to dating apps. List your top three safety tips. Leah? I would say my top three. One would be make sure you do your research on a person. Um, there's nothing wrong with trying to discover more about someone before you meet with them. Two, I would suggest sharing your location with a close family or friend. And three, I would really suggest meeting up in a public setting instead of, you know, meeting privately or at night. Just meet in the open with. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. More people around just so you can get a vibe from that person. Yeah, I definitely will kind of echo some of the sentiment. One, I would recommend taking a screenshot of photos of the person you're intending to meet. Two, if you're choosing to get in a vehicle with that person, I would suggest um, taking a photo of their driver's license and sending that along with the photos to at least three friends. And then also look into apps. There's an incredible app called Circles of Six that allows you to do a one button touch on your cell phone to notify police, ambulance, and or the five contacts that you have preloaded into the app. We're products of this digital generation. These apps are a top conversation for so many people on social media. Thank you for bringing so much perspective, so much depth, so much tapestry into this complicated topic, and we really appreciate your time. Coming up, distress in the African diaspora, my candid conversation about the ethnic violence in Ethiopia, then Ludacris, the ultimate girl dad, who's the apple of the eye bringing him good karma, and why are Hallie and J-Hud getting more critical acclaim? It's all in our entertainment roundup when Revolt Black News Weekly returns. Uso, my brother, Tech Nine. You know, I've been thinking about something. I think we give the people more. Yes, we do. I think you're right, bro. I know you know. This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson taking the internet by storm after making his rapping debut. He shows his skills teaming alongside veteran Tech 9 in the new music video for the song called Face Off, which already has over 2 million views on YouTube. Like in Simone in my veins, my culture banging with strange. I change the game, so what's my name? Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm Naima Abdullahi, in for Ebony K. Williams, and we're turning to our weekly entertainment headlines, which includes Halle Berry and Jennifer Hudson set to land some big critical props, plus Tiffany Haddish shows some dark humor for Apple Plus. But first, my one-on-one -on -one conversation with actor and artist Ludacris about his new series, Karma's World, and the Spelman College student who inspired it all. You said your daughter inspired the piece. Her name is Karma. It's called Karma's World. Tell us about that inspiration, like, and when it first ignited in your imagination. Yeah, it's about being the change that I want to see in the world, but it all ignited because my daughter, when she was six, she used to say she wanted to rap. And I told her if she wanted to do music, she has to talk about what goes on in her life and her world. And uh, that's kind of where, what birthed the whole idea. So we started making music and, you know, things that are talking about education and, and empowerment and morals, and, you know, just teaching her 
and it, and it was really great and it just took so long because we went through different phases so she had to learn ups and downs and persistence and never giving up on your dreams and, and we're finally here if you put out love you'll get love back give it up for karma Girl. Why was it important for you as a storyteller and also as a black father to really provide representation to black kids so they can see themselves in something that they can watch? Because I feel, I feel like it's, there's something missing here. I don't feel like there's enough of that, especially like with what kids are going through nowadays with social media. And there's so much pressure and I want them to know that they're not alone and maybe how to deal with some of these issues. And I think that, um, you know, I'm obviously inspired by my daughters. And when you do that, you're automatically concerned about the new generation and generations to come and want to make it the best possible world that I can for them. And that's what birthed all of this. We're seeing a shift in the animation world where there is a demand and a high interest for African-Americans to voice characters that look like them and that resemble them from a culture perspective and also visual representation. Tell us about that. Is that a conversation you had with your team when you were creating this, that that side of representation in the voiceover world was also important to you? Oh, very important. You know, I think that's extremely important and, you know, just the diversity, inclusion, when it comes to the characters, when it comes to the voices, every aspect of it. You know, like I said, I just wanted to become the change that I wanted to see. I wish I had this when I was a kid. and But I am still a big kid, so in a sense, I have it now. Season one of Karma's World premieres on Netflix Friday, October 15th. Any one of you could be the murderer. And Tiffany Haddish is on the case in the Apple TV Plus dark comedy series titled The After Party, which features a star-studded cast. Haddish investigates this whodunit murder mystery trying to figure out who's guilty of the crime. I need my popcorn. Oh, you actually have popcorn? The eight-episode series is set to premiere on Apple TV Plus in January 2022. Black excellence will be center stage as the Critics' Choice Association celebrates black leaders in television and film. Halle Berry, Jennifer Hudson, Anthony Anderson, and Barry Jenkins are among this year's nominees. The honorees are praised for their achievements with thought-provoking series that shined a light on the culture. From Halle Berry's incredible films in the last three decades and Anthony Anderson for his consistent success as a storyteller and producer with series like Blackish, Grownish, and Mixish, the event is set to take place on December 6, 2021. There is a lot more in entertainment to discuss this week, so let's get right into it. Joining me this week are Quincy Harris, Janae Bolden, and Chanel Janae. Let's start with Janae. So Taraji P. Henson, a woman that needs no introduction, she wants Hollywood to cut her a bigger check, but let's backtrack. Black actors and actresses get paid significantly less for their craft. Taraji shared some actual figures to put all of this into perspective. She ended up disclosing for the public that she was offered $180,000 for her role in the 2000. 2008 film The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and um, and only took home about $40,000 after everybody took, you know, whether it's taxes or people in her team that she had to pay. But overall, the team grossed $331 million and her co-stars like Brad Pitt received millions of dollars for their roles. What are your thoughts on this when you hear all these different figures and the discrepancy, the wide gap right, between pay and Hollywood? It's not surprising at all. We all know that the Black woman is uh, receives significantly less than pretty much anyone in the work 
in the workforce. Um, it's great that Taraji is talking numbers because now her peers can hear uh, what the pay should be. I think part of the problem is so many of us don't talk to each other about what we're getting paid and what we should be getting paid. And that's how studios are able to pay significantly less and from a bigger perspective, you know, we hear similar stories like this almost every year in Hollywood all the time with other celebrities such as Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer also speaking up. What can we do to better support our kings and queens on the silver screen? Quincy? Honestly, I, I think it's making sure that we support actresses and actors like, you know, Taraji when they're not only in big films with Brad Pitt or, you know, with bigger white names. We have to support, you know, the Benjamin Buttons, like we support a movie that is supported by or produced by a, a Tyler Perry. Once you create your own demand like Tyler Perry has done, then you don't have to go to those films. You don't have to go to other people and look for other people to give you and say, hey, well, we're putting you, we're, we're doing you a favor and us giving you this exposure, we're not going to pay you the money. So I think as us, as African-Americans or people who just love these actors or actresses, just make sure that we support their films. Hopefully Taraji is starting a trend of people being transparent of what it's actually like in Hollywood. Chanel, let's talk about what's going on in the world of R. Kelly. He was found guilty on nine felony charges, including sex trafficking and racketeering. Um, ever since that news broke out, we've seen, uh, we've seen another trend happen, right? Streams skyrocketing. In a recent report by the Rolling Stone, within a seven-day period, uh, Kelly's on-demand streams increased from 11.2 million to 13.4 million, and his album sales increased by 517%. Why do you think this is happening in the midst of the cancel culture? Because they don't care. You know, if, if people want to continue to step in the name of love of, or step in the name of a serial sex trafficker and a serial sexual abuser, be my guest, but do that over there. Like, it's, it'll be much easier if people could just really name the issue. And the issue is that they don't want to see their favorite person get out of here. They don't want to stop consuming their favorite's art. But really, at the end of the day, a lot of our faves and a lot of Hollywood faves are actually a bit more problematic than we all want to agree about. So that's really the crux of it. Quincy, Janae, Chanel, thank you so much for joining me. We really appreciate this conversation. Up next, we're talking Biden's new banking bill and how it impacts the black dollar. We get into that and more after the break. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm Naima Abdullahi, in for Ebony K. Williams. And tonight, the black dollar and President Joe Biden's banking bill is our topic of conversation. The Biden administration has made a clear plan to beef up IRS auditing, requiring banks to turn over customer bank account information and accounts that contain more than $600. This is part of the president's plan to bring in revenue to pay for his new federal spending, so what does this mean to black Americans and the government staying out of our pockets? Naturally, it's been met with pushback. Joining me to talk about the plan and what it means in civilian language are owner of One United Bank, Kevin Cohey, IRS tax attorney, Jeffrey Collins, and financial expert, Ash Cash. Welcome to the show. My first question is for you, Kevin. Why is this such a drastic plan for the administration and what does this mean for the average black American? 
Well, it means the government would have exposure to all of your activities. Where'd you cast Uber to? Where'd you eat? It would be more than if they recorded everything you said. Because those are just words, but your financial transactions, they know your whole life. Uh, is it designed to catch tax cheats or will this invade privacy for the average person? You know, regardless of what the intention is, uh, the information is the information. And if you, if the intention is to catch uh, tax cheats, um, then $600 is a low number, right? Uh, because it, it's going to affect, you know, almost every single American, right? It's going to affect everybody. And so because it's going to affect everybody, um, and then now you have these prying eyes, if the IRS does decide uh, to use the information in a different way, um, you know, you, you can't scale it back. Um, and so I, I do think that um, it, it will impact everyday, you know, everyday Americans, especially black Americans, uh, you know, because the side gigs and side hustles and money coming in, in and out, um, a lot of people don't have their books in order and don't have things in order. Um, and so, you know, having that um, prying eye uh, will affect that. But then even if the people do have their things in order, uh, who wants the government to, to be to be in your business all the time? So every single move you make, they're going to know about it. So, I, so I, I don't think it's a good idea. Now, at the heart of this is the attempt to catch tax fraud. But at the same time, what will such prying do to the average working black American? Jeffrey, I want to bring that question to you. Uh, if this thing passes and the banks are required to disclose all of those financial transactions, we have to make sure as a community that the government sees average Joe who deposits uh, only a few thousand dollars into his bank account uh, every month is an immaterial um, fact pattern or circumstance as opposed to uh, someone who is depositing uh, six figures in their bank account also um, below the radar. But, but what, what, one, yeah. thing, one thing we're not talking about, though, one thing we're not talking about is that historically the black community does not trust banks, right? And so we're looking at one side of, like, what the government and all that stuff, but what's going to happen is now with this invasion of privacy, now black people are not going to be putting their money into banks. Some of the things that we were battling when I worked in the banking industry was predatory lending was going to the check cashier places, you know, you know, stealing money from our community. Uh, we're just getting, uh, you know, that our community to, to trust banks. And now this move, I, I would suspect, would probably uh, give a greater distrust for banks. And now people are, you know, keeping money back under their mattress again. Listen, I learned so much having this conversation with you, Kevin, Anton, Ash. Thank you for weighing in on this vital conversation that affects us all. Coming up, we're shining a light on the ethnic violence in Ethiopia. When we come back, our candid conversation about the African diaspora in distress and is there a solution to peace? That and more on Revolt Black News Weekly when we return. What's his name? Fan. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. Black identity in the United States has sparked a nationwide trend of tracing your roots back to the motherland. 
And with that, we've seen the embracing of African culture, from the music to fashion in the mainstream. But the motherland has much more to offer and has its own struggles that deserve coverage and attention. Now, to truly understand Africa means to shine a light on what the countries face from civil wars, genocides, culture clashes, and so much more. There are more than 50 countries. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly, we focus on Ethiopia. The humanitarian crisis there has become glaring after the Facebook whistleblower's testimony. The East African country has nine regional states. One of those regions is going through a state of emergency, the Tigray region. The Ethiopian federal government and Tigray's regional state have been in an ongoing conflict for almost a year now. So why has it lasted this long? And how can this end peacefully? Joining me for this discussion is Sue Solo, hip-hop radio personality who has a personal connection to the Tigray region, and Shorty Mack, a media personality and advocate on African issues. Sue Solo, Shorty Mack, thank you for joining us on this important discussion that really shines a light on what's happening in the diaspora. Ethiopia's Tigray region has a population of about 7 million people. Sue Solo, because you have a direct connection to this region, you have family members who live there. Walk us through how this escalated in the midst of a pandemic from their firsthand experience. Ethiopian politics is difficult to understand. And I really think that a big problem as to why people are not resonating to this cause is because they don't understand the politics. We have the Tigray region, which is the northernmost uh, region of Ethiopia. It sits on the border of Eritrea. And to a certain extent, they are self-governing. They have the TPLF, which is like their leadership um, body of, of, of government. But then there's the federal Ethiopian government that basically definitely has the most power in all of Ethiopia. From my understanding, um, Abiy Ahmed, who is the current prime minister of Ethiopia, decided to postpone elections due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Tigray decided that they were going to go ahead and hold their regional elections. And from there, it seems like literally all hell broke loose. What is your insight, Shorty Mack? You know, you're from Eritrea as well. You see how all of the diaspora, specifically East Africa, is impacted. When you think about who should be held responsible, how does that play out within the region? Well, for me, the most troubling part about everything that's going on is the humanitarian crisis. There are attacks on civilians, to, to just put it straight up. People are being literally chopped up with machetes, knives, like literally being chopped up. Simple people need to be left out of it. Thousands have died from the conflict. Some opposition groups say the death toll is more than what's being reported, up to 50,000 people. But by the end of the day, with that amount of bloodshed, why or why not is this not resonating with the rest of the world? Sue Solo? You have to look at the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States and why that movement was so big and why it continues to be so big. Then you have to dissect that into Black African lives. I constantly question, where is the Black Lives Matter movement? Like, does it just matter in America? And it feels that way. I, I can't help but to be emotional about it because I don't know where my mama is. I haven't spoken to her in months. I don't know if she's alive, dead, if she has shelter, if she's hungry, if she's in control of her body. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. You said you don't know where your mother is. There is a, a communications blackout, meaning the Tigray region has no access to internet, phone. I can't text, email, DM, WhatsApp. I can't do anything. There's no way to contact your family within the Tigray region of Ethiopia. 
Um, tell us about the mental health crisis and how it really impacts us because I cannot sit here and not really talk about how this is really impacting you and your wellness, Susolo. I questioned God so much. Um, I realized that I hadn't kneeled and prayed in so long and I wanted to, but I was stuck in bed crying, reading articles about the Tigray genocide and I felt weak and I felt abandoned by God. And I remember having one conversation with my mom during one of the few times that I was able to talk to her. And this woman told me that she went to church. She has not strayed from God in the midst of her living through or potentially living through a genocide. And I got on my knees and prayed. It is not easy to stay mentally and emotionally stable during times like this, living in America and dealing with what we are doing here. And then having to wonder what is going on with the people of Tigray? What is going on with my family? Is my mom alive? Are you okay? It has been the heaviest time of my life. I could have never imagined in 2021 that I would no longer be able to claim Ethan. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Ethiopia as home. Offer you my condolences for of what's happening to the Ethiopian region. I offer you my thoughts, sympathy, and it's something that I can resonate with too because I too am healing from the diaspora. And I know Sue Sola, when we talk about vulnerability, Shorty Mac, this is something that affects all of us, right? Absolutely, yeah. Like she said. Black lives can't matter until they matter on every location on the planet. And that's why we don't hear about what's happening there every single day on the news. It's simply because black lives don't matter in a larger sense just in, uh, in regards to police brutality. You know what I mean? If we're going to have this conversation, we have to address that too. Ethiopian President um, Abi Ahmed is the recipient of the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize for his border peace efforts with Eritrea. So how does a Peace Prize winning president become the center of a humanitarian crisis and in part being blamed by his critics for what's happening? Susolo, what's your take on that? How do you, as a Nobel Peace Prize winner, say, hey, not only do I dislike the, the people of Tigray or the Tigray region or their leaders, I hate them so much. I want to wipe them off the face of the earth and I'm going to invite another country and, and their military to come in and join this kill them all party. It is beyond me how a Nobel Peace Prize winner could get to this point. And he still holds Ethiopians. That What's the other side of the conversation where other people are defending yes. their viewpoints? I've heard people um, say no one talked about when TPLF, you know, was the ruling party and they oppressed other ethnicities. And I want to be very clear when I say this. No one deserves to be oppressed. What kills me about the conversation, specifically with Ethiopians, is the denial. It's the... Hmm. It's the, hey, man, I haven't spoken to my mom in months. Oh, well, TPLF, 
hey, I don't know if my mom is dead or alive. Well, TPLF in, in 19, da, 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 da. There's literally no compassion. There's no compassion. It almost feels like everyone is seeking revenge and they feel like, well, this is what the Tigrayans deserve. Let them go, kill them all. It, it's, it's what it feels like because no one is saying anything. Honestly, this is a conversation that we could talk about forever. Um, this is a conversation that you know, deserves more time. So we wanna make sure that we bring you ladies back on this platform to continue this conversation because we're scratching the surface. We're making a human connection where humanity knows from you know, Atlanta to East Africa, East Atlanta to East Africa, right? Making that connection within this brand so that the conversations continue and that we show that black excellence is beyond our region. It's in the diaspora. The diaspora is bleeding. There are things happening that deserve attention. And because of that, I want to say thank you so much, ladies, for joining us for this important conversation. No, thank you. Thank for you for having us. Onto the platform, you know, to talk about this very important and pressing issue. Thank you. And before we go, we want to highlight someone marking a milestone. Betty Reed Soskin is now the National Park Service's oldest active ranger after celebrating her 100th birthday last month. We wish her a happy birthday and congratulations. That does it for us. For Revolt Black News Weekly, I'm Naima Abdullahi. See you next time. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.